baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Hey, Richmond, welcome back. This is Tim Anderson filling in for Jeff Katz on News Radio WRVA. Welcome to the show. This is 505. Hey, listen, we're going to jump right into it. We have a very special guest here uh, with us. Uh, we have uh, Delegate Delaney, uh, who is uh, uh, commonly known in the circles of uh, the halls of Richmond as Recess Delaney. Uh, and that's because in 2020, uh, some 2018, 2019, something like that. Uh, she was uh, able to get a recess bill passed that uh, allows your kids in public schools to have recess. And so uh, children approved Delegate Delaney. Now, she is the current whip of the House of Delegates, and uh, I invited her on the show because uh, I thought you, the listeners, might like to hear uh, maybe a polite and informal debate on some issues. So welcome to the show, Delegate Delaney. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, that's great. So... You know, I think one thing that people don't understand about politics is that in Richmond, at least, so much of the things that we do are by almost unanimous consent. That's right. By agreement. That's right. So I, I think that this year, 70 percent of the bills were unanimous. They went through. It means no, no Democrats, no Republicans objected. They went through and the governor, governor signed them. And so we get along a lot more than people think. Would that's you, right. That's true. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, we hear about the issues, the hot button issues where we are obviously going to disagree. We're probably going to continue to disagree. But you're right. When we get down to Richmond and we get down to doing the people's business, I think you'll find that most of the bills we look at are bipartisan. A lot of them, as you said, are uncontested. I mean, that's the kind of bills I like to pass. Yeah. Yeah. So. Speaking of that, let's jump into a uh, you just recently made news, right? Uh, about a bill that you're working on dealing with uh, Virginia's prescription drug prices. So That's right. Tell me a little bit about this. And by the way, this is not something you're going to hear a lot of uh, uh, negative from my side about. I think that you're right on track, and I think the Republicans agree with you now on this too. But tell us what the problem is and what you're trying to do to fix it. Yeah, I mean, and these are the kind of common ground things that I think we really do need to focus on. Um, you know, there there is a lot of opportunity to focus on the the issues that we can all agree. Prescription drug affordability is absolutely one where I think people really come together. There are too many people who are having to make choices between what they are able to buy at the grocery store and their prescription drugs, uh, whether they can pay for rent or their mortgage or take the medication they need to stay alive or maintain a good quality of life. And uh, one proposal that uh, that I have been working on last session and continue to con- you know plan to continue to fight for this coming session is a prescription drug affordability board, and that would simply be a board that requires some accountability and transparency from the pharmaceutical companies who are making an absolute fortune, and for what it's worth, spending an absolute fortune on advertising to show that you know if the rising cost of these drugs is justifiable, then bring it to the board, show us why a pill or an inhaler or whatever medication that you know Virginians need has risen in cost so much faster than that of inflation. It needs to be justified and it holds some accountability and some, some transparency. And I really hope to have some bipartisan, uh, continued bipartisan support on this issue as we currently do. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking per se about things like insulin and things like that because the federal government seems they've got their arms wrapped around insulin probably. But I mean, we still have some work to do on it, but there's definitely some more expensive things than insulin for sure. Sure. But like, what about like drugs like uh, tricat? 
Trikafta, which is a life-saving drug for those people with cystic fibrosis. According to Google here, uh, if you have cystic fibrosis, your prescription drug cost could be $300,000 per year for this life-saving drug, drugs that exist to cure somebody or at least substantially increase somebody's uh, life may cost $300,000 per year. Is that something that you're trying to get your arms wrapped yeah, around? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, I mean, it's outrageous. And I think that, you know, this this board would target kind of the maybe the top 10, let's say, of uh, just the, the prescription drugs that cost the most and that the prices are just rising the fastest. Because I think that's that's the question that really needs to be answered is we understand that there's research and development. We, we understand that there's a cost associated with uh, creating and, and getting these drugs out to market. But the... It, the fact that they're rising in price so fast, there's got to be some accountability. There's got to be tr- some transparency. And that's something we're hearing from from voters that really matters to them. They don't care whether we have an R or a D next to our name. They just want to be able to have access to the prescription drugs they need to stay alive and to live a good quality of life. And you're not trying to get the politicians to set these prices. You're trying to set a board of that's experts right. to say, hey, this should be the, the right that's price right. for this. That's yeah. right. And right. have the transparency. And if, there, if there's a reason why it's going to cost more than it did last year, well, this is the chance to prove it. And it just offers that extra layer of protection to Virginians, which I think is so important. And you've tried and failed on this already once, right? Well, we did introduce it last year. It was able to pass through um, the Senate, uh, but unfortunately, it was killed in the House. And so... So we're hoping to take another stab at it this year. Uh, we have a Republican in the Senate that's going to be uh, our co-patron, and I'll be carrying it in the House. And another year, sometimes it takes a little bit, and this might be the year we get it done. And so you have a bipartisan Republican senator. That's carrying. right. That's right. So, all right, that's great. All right, uh, let's get into something more interesting. Let's talk about dirty books in schools. <laughs> so, you know, that's my thing. I love talking about dirty books in schools. So why is it that you specifically want dirty books in schools? Oh, that's that. That's <laughs> such a nice question, you know. Um, so let's let's start with that. that I don't and, and Democrats don't. There is in every school district in Virginia uh, the opportunity to have a book challenged and to have it removed from shelves if it's inappropriate. So if there is material in your child's school that you feel is inappropriate because it's explicit content, it can get challenged and it can get removed. And the issue that that Democrats have with the book bannings is it's not targeting explicit material. The books we're seeing challenged have LGBT themes that would be otherwise age appropriate. But the fact that the characters are gay, now the book's getting challenged. The books might talk about slavery or other uncomfortable uh, historical subjects, and those books are getting challenged. And I think that the point that I'd like to make is I'd like to have some proof that that's not what Republicans are trying to do when when you all say, no, we're just going after the explicit material, because I had a bill this past session that would have given Republicans a chance to prove that. Yeah, but I had a bill, and I read the dirty books on the floor with the dirty pictures, and you guys voted no to that. So... What your bill was to duplicate and add repetition to a process that already exists. What my bill did was say you can challenge explicit material all day, but what you can't do is ban a book based solely on the fact that the characters are gay, based solely on the fact that it's about slavery, etc. And that was killed by Republicans in in committee. Why, why, Why was that not acceptable to your party? So you all agree that... If there's a if there's two kids having graphic sexual content, if there's two kids having sex in a book and graphic pictures, that those books uh, should 
should have some ability to be challenged and reviewed by the administrators to be removed. And that already exists. That's that's. Then been how in are existence. these books still in the library? Then I mean, that's a great question. Maybe they're too busy reviewing books about slavery and you know, two uh, gay teenagers and a childish romance. I don't know. I mean, these these are the things that we're seeing getting challenged. That it's not mm-hmm. about the explicit material. The explicit material, I think, it gets challenged and it gets taken off of shelves. I mean, I think it does get taken off the of shelves if if it's challenged. But what I see are these these you know committees of of uh, of people being pulled together to question whether or not um, otherwise age appropriate content on relationships and history are valid based solely on the fact that there's LGBT content or based solely on the fact that it's an uncomfortable subject from U.S. history. Yeah, but Democrats are using things like book banning. That's like that's Nazi propaganda words. So it's not book banning. It's saying this is book shouldn't be in a children's school library. That's not book banning. That's appropriately curating a library. Didn't you used to be on a library board at one point? I was on the Fairfax County Library Board, and I think curating material is a big part of what librarians do. I'm not a librarian. I I was I served on the board. I was the the uh, board president for the Fairfax County Library Board, um, and that. But I learned a lot about librarians and what librarians do. And I mean, they are worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole. Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did subject matter experts they know how to curate a collection when it comes to school libraries though i mean if there's a a material that parents find inappropriate there's absolutely an opportunity to challenge that i think the point that i want to make is that it's it's not about the explicit material that we're calling into question it's the fact that there are so many calls to ban books to remove from the the, um, you just collection. said it again. Ban books. Well, you Why know, do you, you said say ban things? books? Uh, We're know, not trying to ban books. Do you books. want me to make a list of things you say well, over the next few minutes that we we're have? Because I think to, you might say some things too. Um, it's not book banning. Remove them. Remove Re- okay, them. Okay, that's right. Okay, you want to remove them. Why are you wanting to remove books that have two teenage kids in an age-appropriate relationship just because they're gay? Yeah, I don't think that's happening. All right, hey, it look, is absolutely we're gonna, happening. We're going to continue this here in just a minute. This is Tim Anderson on News Radio WRVA. Stick with us. we got a lot more to cover. Abortion's coming up, guys. All right, guys. Tim Anderson here on News Radio WRVA filling in for Jeff Katz. We have a delegate, senior delegate, a Democrat delegate Delaney in the uh, studio here. She's uh, here to talk about some of the Democrat priorities, have conversations on what's going on. Welcome back to the show, Delegate Delaney. Thank you. I'm so glad that we're going to get a chance to talk about some of these important issues, things that we don't necessarily agree on. You know what I think we're going to do today? What's that? I think we're going to save America. Save America. I think that there is so much partisanship happening right now, such a divide in this country. People just can't have 
a civil conversation and realize that, you know, we're, we're not going to agree. We're probably not going to agree on most of the things we talk about today. But at the end of the day, we're going to go back to Richmond and we're going to work together to solve problems. And I think people need to hear a little bit about that part of politics, too. You know, I don't I don't disagree with that. 100. I think that's 100 percent right. We have lost the ability to talk to each other. Uh, we talk at each other or over each other. That's right. I, I think you're right. Um, but, you know, tensions are high in things like abortion. That's right. Right. And so you get pretty heated and sometimes it's hard to listen to what the other side says. It is. It can be very hard because I think understanding why the other person can feel so strongly about something that you just think they're just, how can they be so wrong and think they're so right? And we both think that way, don't we? Well, I mean, so, you know, we have a basis called God on our side and and ethics and morality, which says, hey, we shouldn't kill babies. And and, and I just wonder, like, where are you guys at on this? Like, we played the Kathy Tran clip uh, in 2019, you know, she wanted to propose a bill that would allow an abortion for mental health reasons up until the moment of birth. Okay, well, let's let's talk about that. She was asked if there was a line in her bill. And, you know, that committee often meets late at night. And what I wish could have happened is I wish that there was a health care provider still in the room who could have run up there and said, wait a minute, Mr. Chair, what you're proposing, it's, it's not real. It doesn't exist. It's fiction. It's a political device to try to create this dramatic scenario that in the real world simply doesn't exist. You talk to medical providers. This scenario that you're proposing and that we always hear you guys talking about on your side, it's not real. It doesn't happen. And in fact, I will. One thing I do really want to say is I think that that rhetoric, it can be it really feels insensitive. Because people who are facing these late-term abortions, they are going through the most devastating time of their life. Something catastrophic has happened, and they're suffering a loss that many of us can never imagine, and it's being used for political gain. That's not what Democrats are about. We're, we are simply about believing in bodily autonomy. People have the right to make a decision about their body, they need to make that decision with a healthcare provider. They can consult maybe their partner, maybe a member of their clergy, but who needs to be in the room is a healthcare provider who does not need to be in the room is a politician. That's what Democrats believe. So Democrats believe in body autonomy, except when it comes to COVID vaccinations, because there was mandates to have to take a COVID vaccine back then. But I digress. We don't have to go into that. We don't have time to go into that. So, so another day, another day. That's fine. So let's talk about this, though. Um, Shouldn't the government have a line that says we protect human life at some point? I don't know. At the moment of birth, like there, I don't really care what's going on with the woman's mental health issues. She shouldn't be allowed for any reason to abort a healthy baby at the moment of birth. Uh, and that's not happening. And that's the part where but, I feel like, you know, medical professionals need to be in the room, too, to say, you know, politicians are having these conversations. We're not medically qualified to, you know, make some to, to comment even on some some of this. The people, who, the providers of healthcare who understand the process can stand up and say what you just described. It doesn't happen. It's not real. Well, then why not allow it to go into law? Then if it doesn't ever happen, we have a bill. We already have a law that says you can't have a late-term abortion unless three doctors subscribe. She was trying to remove that down to one doctor and include a mental health component. Current law says three doctors, physical health of the mother, or uh, the baby's not conducive with life, right? 
she was trying to make it at the moment of birth for mental reasons with one doctor. I, I think that you know the, what what we are advocating for again. It's bodily autonomy. I don't think every hypothetical condition needs to be codified when you have a standard of care in medical practice and just how things work in real life. You can come up with all kinds of scenarios and ask, well, couldn't this happen? Couldn't that happen? I think the question is, well, how, how does it work in the real world? And any healthcare provider could have rushed up to that podium and said, Mr. Chair, that's just not reality. That's not how this works. And you mentioned, you know, where you draw the line, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to be here coming on conservative radio to very proudly discuss what I think, you know, what Democrats are going to be championing. It's the, it's the fact that, you know, you have the hot mic moments, right? Where you're kind of saying, oh, well, they, you know, Republicans want a 15 week uh, ban, but then in the private room, someone's saying that, well, actually it's, it's uh, at conception, right? I mean, what Democrats want is a bodily autonomy for everyone. And we don't think that there should be a line where people who fall on this side of the line um, have bodily autonomy and people who fall on this side of the line. Now the government's in control of your body. And I'm surprised conservatives support that either. I thought you guys were not wanting the government involved in your life. Well, lives. we have a line. If I come up, if you're pregnant and I come up and I shoot you in the belly and I kill your baby, that's a homicide to the baby. But if you do it as the mother, it's completely legal because you have autonomy. The baby dies either way. So we have a line. We have a compelling state interest in criminal law, but we don't in abortion. Well, and, we're not talking about criminal law, though. But that's an inconsistency I'm, in the I'm, law. I'm interested to know, though, where you where you all come up with a line deciding, okay, people on this side can have autonomy, but people on this side are under government control. Well, I think we, I look, find at, that inconsistent we look at the with world. conservative values. We look at the world, and the world says Europe says 12 weeks, and Governor Youngkin wants 15 weeks. Currently, Virginia is 26 weeks. The only other countries that are 26 weeks are China. North Korea. Well, like, that, that's crazy. And like, this, this, a, a woman could walk in at 25 weeks at the end of her second term, a second trimester, and say, hey, I want to cut this thing out. It's completely legal in Virginia. No doctor reason, no medical reason whatsoever. It's crazy. All right, last word. we got to get 30 seconds. So, again, I mean, I think that I think that we have to understand, you know, we're not going to agree on this. But, you know, I think circumstances are very personal and private. Having the opportunity to make these really personal decisions with a trusted healthcare provider and not a politician is what we stand for. All right, you sticking around for another minute? Of course. All right, this is Tim Anderson. We're here on News Radio WRVA. Stick with us. We got a lot more coming. Guns are on next. Welcome back, Richmond. This is Tim Anderson on News Radio WRVA, filling in here for Jeff Katz and Jeff Katz Radio Show. So we had to turn the air conditioning up because it's gotten hot in here. I've had uh, Delegate Delaney with me, and we have had uh, some debates. We've been talking about the hot and button issues that are. Uh, engaged in Virginia. And first of all, I just wanted to say thank you, by the way, for coming here. You're coming on to conservative radio show. You are a high-level, prominent Democrat in the House of Delegates. Take some guts to come on a show like this, and I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Like I said earlier, I think it is really important that people get to hear just some different viewpoints and kind of understand. I know it's a little bit like uh, walking into the cafeteria on Mean Girls, like getting the side eye, like, what's, what is she doing here? But you know what? By the end of the show, I don't know, maybe you'll want to be my friend. Hey, Jeremy, the producer, we need to get me booked on CNN for the same reason. Clinton News Network needs to have me come on and uh, talk to the, some sense into those freaks. Anyway, all right, I digress. <laughs> all right. So, you know, 
when Governor Northam came down with his transgender policies, all the Republican school boards just kind of bended a knee and acquiesced. And uh, Governor Youngkin now has uh, implemented new transgender policies for schools. And you see Fairfax County giving the middle finger to the governor. Uh, and I wonder, you know, the law says that the Department of Education is supposed to create model policies and that the school boards shall uh, in, shall adopt these policies and uh, implement. They can have better, but not less. And I just wonder, what is your take on Fairfax County blatantly violating Virginia state law in not adopting the model policies of Governor Yunkin? Well, the the email that I and I'm a parent of Fairfax County public school children, and so I got the email, um, you know, kind of announcing uh, the the school board's uh, policy or position on this. And, you know, they had done a review and, and found it in compliance with state and federal law. And so that's that's kind of the position that that's been announced to parents. But, you know, I think from from my perspective as a as a state lawmaker um, and, you know, what Democrats support, fundamentally, students deserve the freedom to express their authentic authentic selves and be free from harassment. And we really want to make sure that schools are safe for all children. And that is fundamentally what is behind our position on these issues. I think the big difference between Northam and Yunkin's policies, though, were that parents get to have more of a say. So right now, under Northam's policies, schools can lie to their to their parents of their kids. If my son Alex went to school and said, hey, I want to be called Sarah, you're going to call me a her, I'm a she, uh, and then he comes home and he's Alex, and I call up the school and say, hey, is my son Alex being called Sarah? And they, they could say no to that to parents if they want. They could lie to parents. Yunkin's policy says only, you can only call a kid a different gender or different pronoun, different name, if the parents consent or direct the schools to do that. And so I just kind of wonder, like, where, why do the Democrats feel like parents don't have a role in this? Like, why don't they have a say in this? So, I mean, this, it all comes down to student safety. I mean, I, no one, everyone would, would, in an ideal world, let me put it this way, in an ideal world, of course, all parents would be actively involved and supportive of their child and make sure that they were experiencing a loving and supportive upbringing. Um, in real society here, I mean, we have to strike a balance sometimes and ensure that our children are safe. Now, I will say, you know, LGBT students, it's it's a vulnerable population of kids. If you look at the statistics, especially trans youth, the rates of self-harm, thinking about suicide, dying by suicide, they're abysmal. This is a vulnerable group of kids. And simple acts of validation have been found by the experts who work with this population that sometimes just the simple act, the small gesture of calling someone by their preferred pronoun cuts those rates dramatically. It helps save these kids' lives. It's a little thing to do to just make someone feel like they belong in this society, that we want them to stay here in the world with us. These are small, simple acts that we're asking for that really help save lives. And I think that that's really at the heart of what our policies that you see Democrats put forward. It's really trying to help a very vulnerable population. In an ideal world, of course, parents would be involved in everything. I've worked with abused kids, though. So what would you propose happen if you have a child who is exploring their identity and would like to try going by a different name or seeing my, what it might feel like with different pronouns? But they say, you know what, I think if my, if my parents found out, I think I'm going to get kicked out of the house. Would you please not tell them? What do you think the teacher should do in that case? Well, I think you should tell the parents. 
and then you should call Child Protective Services. And if the parents kick the minor out of the house, uh, the parents go to jail for a child abuse. Well, I mean, and that those, and so, that might be a more extreme example of someone, um, you know, maybe, yeah, kicking a kid out or, or threatening to, to harm a child. But it might just be, my parents are going to hate me if they tell, if you know, so I, I don't feel safe doing, you know, telling you or opening up about this if I feel that you're going to then go out me to my parents where I might not feel safe at home. They, they may be safe at home, but they might not feel safe at home. They may not feel as, um, you know, secure as they as they did uh, otherwise. And I, I think that that's what we're trying to get at. And that's what we're trying to protect. And, you know, I think we, you know, we disagree to uh, some extent. All right. So we only have a couple minutes for the big question. If the Democrats win, what guns are you taking away from us? <laughs> well, that that is a really great... What are you great, coming after? That's a really great point, because what I was actually going to say to kind of follow up on the final points here um, was that, you know, these are important issues, um, what we were just talking about with trans youth and LGBT youth, but I don't really hear that on doors. When I'm out talking to people in the community, they're more concerned about school infrastructure, teacher pay, and whether their kids are going to come home at the end of the day. And that, I think, is the bigger issue that we're hearing and that why, you know, Democrats have a priority um, of making sure that we are, you know, doing as much as we can to uh, to help address um, gun violence in this Commonwealth. I think one of the biggest issues that we really want to work on um, coming up this session when we do win the majority, which I really think we will, yes. is yes. safe storage bills. Uh, I like that. You know, I, I don't disagree. You know, that woman down in Newport News who just uh, had the kid who shot the teacher, her, her kid got a hold of that gun because she wasn't properly storing that firearm. If your kid gets a hold of a gun, it's your fault as the parent, 100% of the time. You have to store your guns. So uh, Lopez, Delegate Lopez, Democrat, passed a bill this year. By the way, you get a credit up to $300 if you buy a gun safe from a firearms dealer. Uh, and if you buy that this year, you get a tax credit next year. So it's trying to incentivize parents to buy safes to lock their guns up. But I, I don't disagree with that. I think that you, I, I totally support that. It should be mandated. If you have small children in your house, you have to store your firearms in such a way that they have no access. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think I think that and, and, and bills that are kind of related to just addressing what is, I think, real epidemic in our community. I mean, gun violence is the leading cause of death of children and teens in the in the United States. And I mean, that's a real problem. And I I would love to see us able to come together in a bipartisan way to find real solutions. I do hope that some safe storage bills, which I know is going to be a big priority for us, would be one of those spaces where we could see working together with Republicans have the governor signed the bills. I mean, unfortunately, I think we had 16 gun prevention bills that were killed uh, in subcommittee. Um, so, you know, so far, I haven't seen a lot of goodwill to work across the aisle on this issue. This is one that we do seem to have a real wedge between us on. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, all parents, I don't care if they're Republicans or Democrats or what party, uh, they want their kids to come home safe from school at the end of the day. We all want that. And I think that's where we have to figure out how to go from there. I know that everyone in the General Assembly wants their kid to come home at the end of the day safe. And kids are worried about gun violence in their schools. So there's got to be some things we can do. Um, we've got two more years with uh, with Governor Yunkin in the executive office. Democrats are going to take control in the House and the Senate this coming November. Um we're going to have to find some ways to work together and solve this problem because, you know, it's too much violence. Yeah, it's pretty simple. You put metal detectors on the doors, you require clear bags, and you deputize some of the people in the building so that they can have guns in there. So if somebody brings a gun, they can shoot back. You don't have to wait for cops. 
Democrats don't want to do any of that. They just want to take more guns away from other people. We I only have 10 we, seconds, 20 <laughs> seconds, so you have last word on it. Go ahead. Well, last word is that we are not looking to take away your guns. What we are looking to do is to take guns out of the hands of violent people who would do harm to make sure that all of our kids come home safe at the end of the day. All right. There you have it. Uh, that was Delegate Delaney, Democrat whip of the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, with us. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is Tim Anderson filling in for Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. All right. Uh, so, hey, I don't know if you had fun uh, on this show today, but I certainly did. Uh, this this ability to have Delegate Delaney on the show in this past hour, I think, was quite special. I don't think it's been done uh, in a long time on, on radio either way, either conservative radio or, or uh, radio that may be more liberal. But I think it's important. When I was in the General Assembly, uh, I kind of came in as this Trump firebrand, and I hated that because uh, I never associated myself with Trump. I always saw myself as more of a, a Reagan guy, and I came in, uh, and you know, this is fair, I came in as a firebrand because I actually had a driveway de-icer, they called it a flamethrower, whatever, semantics, but you know, I, I torched the liberal agenda to get into office, and you know, the Democrats were unsure about me, but when I got in... Here's what I learned. If you talk to the other side and you actually treat them respectfully and you listen to what they have to say, there's a lot more that we agree on than we disagree. And uh, I think what's happening in politics, and this is really mostly the media, I think, that's spinning this up, is we are talking at each other. And uh, when I grew up, uh, my dad told me that Democrats had bad ideas. And that's why I became a Republican. Dad taught me that conservative ways were the right way, and that's kind of how he influenced me to get into uh, to where I am today. Nowadays, we're teaching each other that Democrats are bad people uh, or Republicans are bad people. And, you know, when you start off a conversation with, you're not an American, you don't love America, you don't want to uh, further America, you want to destroy America. When we start off in that conversation, then we look at each other, no longer as Americans, but as enemies. And uh, I think what we just proved is you can have two professionals that are passionate about issues, and they can have a dialogue. And if you listen to each other, maybe we're not going to agree on much on these big issues, but you you can certainly tell that we uh, can leave each other and work with each other on other issues. And in fact, here's a little f- known fact. Delegate Delaney uh, was my uh, chief co-patron on one of my sexual assault bills. You know, so this Democrat, chief co-patron, one of my bills and helped me get it through the Virginia Senate. So while we may not agree on anything to do with guns or abortion, we're able to work together. And that's what we need more of in politics. Unfortunately, what's happening is each side, Democrats or Republicans are guilty of this, we just demonize the other side, and we talk about how they're bad people. And when you do that, it really ruins politics. And that's why politics is the way it is. That's why when you look at Washington, D.C., nothing's getting done. That's why when you look at Virginia, nothing really substantial is getting done. We're just deadlocked because we refuse to work with each other. And I think what you can see just in this hour is that two people that can be completely opposite on some issues can certainly work together respect each other, and find common ground. And I'll tell you this, Republican or Democrat, if more of that happened in Richmond and in D.C., America, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Richmond, we would all be better off for it, and we would actually start moving things to advance a policy that makes things uh, work for all Americans. Who could be against 
uh, trying to find reasonable prescription uh, prices. I don't know uh, the prescription drug companies, but most Americans would be for that. Who would be uh, against uh, making sure that uh, we have uh, gun safes uh, in houses when children are involved securing firearms? I mean, like, like these are reasonable things. We have a lot that we can work on together. And, uh, you know, face it, Virginia is purple. I don't care. It's not red. It's not blue. It's purple. It's going to swing. Democrats are going to have control. Republicans are going to have control. It's going to kind of go back and forth. We're stuck with them. And if we're stuck with them, we might as well learn to work with them and actually do some things rather than just calling them names and uh, trying to uh, just force agenda through that uh, the other side wants to reverse as soon as they get in power. That's what they did. That's uh, And that's where we are. So that's uh, that's that's my little exit uh, statement here on uh, uh, the end of August, uh, guest hosting the Jeff Katz Show. I think if we work together, Virginia would be better off. We don't have to compromise. We don't have to agree that we should have late-term abortions. We don't have to agree we should take people's guns, but there's so much we can agree on. All right, I had a great time. Hope you did too. This is Tim Anderson signing off on the Jeff Katz Radio Show on News Radio WRVA. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.